0: Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change. Your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well hello, I'm Thomas Doherty and I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness our podcast, the show for people around the globe who are thinking and feeling deeply about the personal side of climate change and other environmental issues and threats. Uh, This is a podcast where we, as a mental health professional, as an emotions researcher, where we create a space for people to be with their various feelings and thoughts about these big issues that we're coping with in the world, like global climate change, like disasters, like the big stressors. Uh, and I'm in Portland, Oregon, and Panu is in Helsinki, Finland, and so we start. I'm in my early morning, and Panu's in his late, later evening. Uh, Panu, how are you doing to, this evening? And I know you have recently seen the Oppenheimer movie, and I think you have some thoughts about that.
1: Yes, thanks for asking, Thomas. That's been one of the hot movies for the summer, both in Finland and in the States and in many parts of the world, together with Barbie, of course, giving the name Bob for the phenomenon where many people, if they can, go to see both of these movies. But seeing the movie Oppenheimer reminded me of so-called nuclear anxiety, and that's a theme which intersects with my major research teams, eco-anxiety and climate anxiety. And that's why I proposed to Thomas that we might talk about this issue. It's complex, it's difficult, it's sometimes captivating and fascinating. So here we go, talking about Mm -hmm. nuclear stuff and, as always, ecological and climate stuff. Thomas, what's on your mind when you hear the topic of Nuclear weapons and powers mentioned.
0: Well, Pano, I was really glad you. I was really glad you brought this up. Um, I think for myself, like a number of people and listeners, if you're if you're aware of pop culture and um, thinking about movies, yeah, the 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 Oppenheimer movie was a big a big summer movie here. Uh, we'll probably be listening to this this episode sometime in the in the fall of of 2023. But looking at the summer. Um, Yes, the, the pop culture of, of the movies. Um, you know, I did see the Oppenheimer movie and it brought back a lot of thoughts and memories to me about um, the Cold War that I can remember uh, when I was a child and into my late adolescence. And um, I think there's a lot there. I would put out a plug for the movie as an interesting movie. There's also a really good documentary uh, called the Day After Trinity about Oppenheimer and the uh, Manhattan Project on the it's available on the Criterion uh, channel that actually uh, interviews many of the many of the main characters that are featured in that movie and gives some more background to the situation. I think the movie is actually a teachable moment to bring us back to a lot of history that young people would w- wouldn't be aware of and older people have probably more decided they wanted to forget. But the idea of the of the Cold War. Um, after you know the time after world war ii around the world where there was the threat of 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 nuclear of nuclear exchange between the the united states and um the soviet union or or china or the proliferation of nuclear weapons in the middle east and between india and pakistan Um, so this is this this is an issue about uh, a particular about nuclear war and nuclear bombs that's that's uh, very sensitive for people in the era of climate change um, there is the idea of nuclear power and the, and the pros and cons or benefits of, of uh, using nuclear power as a way to decarbonize and, and get off fossil fuels. And that's, that's a, a hotly debated topic right now. So I think as we get into this, one thing that I think that's helpful psychologically is, is, is having a critical tension between the idea of nuclear weapons and nuclear war and nuclear power and power generation because those are those are two potentially separate things i think they're conflated in the public's mind um and i'm not trying to get people to change their beliefs or opinions but i I think it's it's helpful to to think about that obviously the oppenheimer story is 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 this sort of tragedy of how the war and the um intense danger felt by people during world war ii uh, particularly if the, if the, if the Germans and the Nazis had developed an atomic bomb and thus the urgency of, of developing one to counter it kind of took over the narrative. And so that's a classic tragedy narrative where potentially useful or benign ideas or good ideas or just scientific ideas are are co-opted, uh, in some way to be dangerous. And, um, so there's uh, tons of parallels, there's tons of parallels with climate change uh, on the emotional level and uh, also on the political level. We can talk more about that. Say more about what's uh, from the emotions side that this what brings up for you.
1: Yeah, it's both related to history and to the present day. And especially uh, after and during the Russian attack on Ukraine, many people's nuclear fears and worries and anxieties became strengthened again and that's something we have sort of learned to live with culturally this knowledge that there are these when talking about weapons there are these very lethal and powerful web weapons and we can't just think about that all the time so there has to be some coping and then it's a complex ethical issue and psychological issue about what are the more constructive ways of coping with it and what are the more maladaptive not so good ways of coping with it so in the present moments For example, some people are feeling both nuclear anxiety and eco-anxiety or climate anxiety, very broadly speaking. In this podcast, we also often differentiate between nuanced meanings of these terms and other emotions, but now broadly speaking. But if we look at the history and think about that, is there something even roughly similar to the experience of eco-anxiety in the global sense, then, of course, the threat of nuclear war comes very close. I think that's probably the closest global historical equivalent. Of course, for various groups of people and cultures, there may have been in various points of history feelings that their way of life is maybe coming to an end. Mm. So there may be sort of existential and apocalyptic feelings of threats in that sense. But still, in the broader sense, I think that the nuclear anxiety and worry and fear come come close and there's some very interesting research actually not very much but still many articles which were done about nuclear anxiety and fear and worry in the 1980s -hmm. for example the Swedish researcher Maria Ojala, whose name has mm-hmm. been mentioned in this podcast earlier, a pioneer in researching climate change, worry among young people, and coping and, and climate e- emotions. In that sense, Maria was linking these topics together already in the 2000s, and mm-hmm. especially in the earlier earlier parts of my work, I was also doing this kind of thinking. So it's re- related to both history and present day, and to the history of eco anxiety research also.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think people new new getting new that are getting into some of the psychology about climate change or what they call climate climate aware therapy, climate conscious therapy. Uh, they might not, they might not be aware that a lot of the ground for um, environmental um, activism regarding mental health therapy, you know, really came out of the Cold War and um, nuclear issues. Um, the work of pe- people like Joanna Macy, who was a famous. Grassroots um, thinker and organizer regarding people's self-care, regarding nature and natural world. Her, her her work came out of. Um, I've got her book from the 1983. I've got it in front of me here. Despair despair and personal power in the nuclear age. So much of her her mo- methods and models were actually developed in the context of, of 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 nuclear weapons, nuclear war. Greenpeace organization itself was 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 actually founded. Um, first to, to protest um, nuclear bomb testing in the, in the Pacific. Um, and so for people of a certain age who, who came of age in, in, the, in the 1950s and 60s who might be listening, this is all common knowledge to them. But for someone that's young, this is really ancient history. I know for myself, coming of age in the 1980s, my, my memories go into the Reagan era and what was still going on in the 1980s regarding nuclear war the uh, mx missile program in the in the u.s that this these kind of huge weird programs that people had the neutron bomb the bomb that was developed that was uh, known for killing people but not destroying buildings um the MX missile, where they were going to put, you know, nuclear missiles on on trains and run them around the West, um, so the missiles could could not be easily targeted, and, and the and the and the, the the knowledge that they were constantly B fifty two bombers flying all at all twenty four hours a day in the air, ready ready to drop bombs and on pre pre targeted locations, and of course nuclear nuclear weapons and submarines. Um, so it became part of people's lives. It's that it's that double life that um you were referring to this idea of of splitting the robert lifton the person you talked to about you know talked about that that splitting where we we go through our, our regular lives uh as if nothing's going on knowing that of course there's nuclear nuclear weapons being at the ready there are people sitting in silos with a button ready to you know press a button and, and start nuclear armageddon it, it's it's it is hard to under hard to understand
1: um yeah yeah Exactly so, and one can ask that what is the trigger or object of this kind of fear or anxiety if it is sort of everywhere or sort of behind everything and of course there's a bit more wider range of obvious triggers for eco and climate anxiety for nuclear anxiety it might be seeing a military plane or something like that but for example this scholar of so-called cultural feelings called ben highmore discusses the difficulty of people's emotional reactions in relation to the long-standing nuclear threat So, what are people supposed to do with these feelings, and when to feel them, and how to socially engage with them, and it's quite complicated. That doesn't mean that there's nothing we can do about it, and, for example, Joan Amasi and colleagues, as you said, Thomas, developed uh, in-depth methods for encountering them, but also the difficulty, I think, needs to be acknowledged. And when thinking about the experience, classic elements of anxiety are the severity of the threat, uncertainty mm-hmm. around it, there might be uncontrollability or unpredictability and the more we have these attributes, the more complex the experience of anxiety, both as emotion or mood gets. And then we can easily see that both in relation to the nuclear threats and the global ecological threats, including climate change, there's a lot of both uncertainty and science-based predictions there's uncontrollability because no single person or single nation can solve these kinds of problems of either nuclear weapons or climate change for example there may be feelings of unpredictability and the Mm. sort of existential severity of the potential threat is so heavy that that alone can make the uh, experience challenging so it's when, when we look at the sort of ingredients or attributes, then it, it becomes easy to see why both of these nuclear anxiety and eco-anxiety can be so difficult to, to grapple. But at the same time, this sort of character that they are in the background may enable people to live kind of double lives as you mentioned and we were discussing the eminent psychologist Robert J. Lifton just before this episode and Mm -hmm. Lifton's work both in relation to nuclear threats and then later in relation to climate threats has been quite influential for many Many researchers, including myself.
0: Yeah, it's a lot to take in. So listeners, you can think about even how you start to grapple with this yourself. And it is not typically something someone would talk about over dinner. You know, nuclear war, uh, nuclear holocaust, (laughs) nuclear power. Um, So yeah, I mean, and it's interesting to see it. Like with a lot of, you know, eco-anxiety, we can try to tamp it down, but it will bubble up in various ways. And often it bubbles up in terms of art and pop culture. The other other movies, you know, big uh, this past summer, the um, Asteroid City, um, Wes Anderson movie kind of takes place in the in the in the in the 1950s in the desert with the you know, mushroom cloud nuclear testing bomb, you know, going off, you know, in the in the background. And it, and it captures some of the blithe kind of uh, innocence of, of people um, in that era not realizing how dangerous these these o- above ground tests were. Uh, and, it, and again, it brings us back to the idea of government secrecy. Obviously, the, the Manhattan Project in World War II was was top secret. No one knew what was happening. It was kept from the public. Uh, and then even after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the true the true effects of the bomb and how dangerous it was in terms of how it affected people were, were, were covered up by the U.S. government. And whether the government knew or not about the dangers of above-ground testing, it was generally suppressed. Um I was talking to Panu earlier about something I didn't know about until a few years ago, but there was a famous uh, was a grassroots study called the Baby Tooth Study, the St. Louis Baby Tooth Study in the 1950s, something that's worth looking up. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But basically, some grassroots uh, medical doctors and environmentalists of the era started questioning this, these nuclear testing, and so they actually had school children donate their baby teeth um, to this program, and then they tested them and found that there was nuclear, there was strontium-90, there was the traces of the um, radioactivity in, in baby teeth. So essentially, the, and it spiked in the, in, the, in the 1950s after testing began. So it, it found the signal of, 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 of radioactivity in, in children's teeth, and it was a very um, clever kind of strategy to capture the public's attention uh in this way and it contributed to signing on to the above ground nuclear test ban that happened in the early 1960s so um we we have lost that history people aren't aware of 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 that history in the 1950s and 60s but it's it's all through movies and 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 various and 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 various kinds of kinds of things dr strange love movie, the famous kubrick movie and You know, I could name several, you know, several classic movies like that. So it it pops up, you know, when I worked for Greenpeace as a canvasser and fundraiser in the early 1990s, one of our issues we were canvassing on was, was uh, nuclear testing still because the U.S. Listeners might not know, but nuclear bomb testing was banned in the early 1990s around the world. And so by the end of the, by the mid nineties, the U.S., Britain, Russia, had all stopped doing nuclear bomb testing. But that was still in, you know, in my youth, an issue that we were focusing on it and and canvassing the public on. And that, of course, has gone away from people's memories. Um, Obviously, North Korea and some other um, countries have violated that. That's, That's why that's why that comes into the news. So it's important to recognize that we have made progress Above ground testing was banned. The egregious above ground testing in the Pacific and in the U.S. and Nevada was was stopped. We've stopped testing weapons after the fall of the Soviet Union, um, Ukraine, and other places got rid of their nuclear weapons. Um, so while it's still a threat, we have made a lot of positive developments uh, regarding regarding this.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, that's very that's very very true and. Uh, I think that's hugely important and on one hand there's another link between the ecological crisis and the nuclear threats in the felt sense of betrayal by the authorities Yes, and that's something which is seen clearly among today's uh, young people for example this large international study Mm -hmm. led by Caroline Hickman and Elizabeth Marx and where I Mm -hmm. contributed Mm -hmm. a lot uh, we really saw how betrayed many young people felt because of climate inaction by political leaders. And this felt sense of betrayal and distrust is, of course, something which became revealed in relation to nuclear testing, as you say, Thomas, for example. In, in education, there are also similarities. Molly Young-Brown is a colleague mm-hmm. of Joanna Macy, mm-hmm. an eco-psychological therapist and writer whose book Growing Whole is very interesting for example and she tells uh, a true story of a teacher during the Cold War era who was asking the pupils that are they really worried about the nuclear threats and then only one reported not feeling worried and then the teacher inquired later and found out that this young person's family went to anti-nuclear demonstrations so there, there was a feeling that hey uh, my parents my close ones are doing something to address this problem so even though we cannot solve it alone or even within our nation we can get the feelings of efficacy when we act together and we can also achieve real things as the examples you thomas mentioned show that there was actual results in the determined, gritty fighting against nuclear weapons and testing. And that's something which has given inspiration, for example, to the climate movement also, I know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So this is this is an example of um an area where we need well I my shorthand term I use is climate adulting or global adulting. Like these are not easy there's not easy answers here. You know, the saying um there's always a simple answer to a a complex problem and it's wrong, right? There's no simple answer. We, we know the Oppenheimer movie and the documentary that I mentioned did a great job showing the motivations of the scientists and the, and the young people, many very young who were working on the nuclear bomb in the light of World War II, in the light of the Holocaust and the, and, and, and the desperation to really get this weapon to save people. Um, and so, you know, that is a, that was a true, true threat you know it's it's just not that easy so we have to we have to expand our capacity and not just fall into very simplistic thinking this brings us in the climate era to this idea of nuclear power and and how the benefits and the pros and cons of nuclear power in terms of how we can um decarbonize and get off fossil fuels it's a tragedy that because of this betrayal that you mentioned, because people don't, they legitimately do not trust the government regarding some of this stuff because of past events and the nuclear industry, like the fossil fuel industry, doesn't have a good reputation, now we have this potential beneficial technology that is very spoiled in the public's mind. Personally, I think it's something we should be looking at because I'm a pragmatist and I, I think we should look at all options in terms of addressing climate change. But that confronts people's, you know, as you said, these decades of, of mistrust and fear about this kind of power. Even, even though we know empirically nuclear, nuclear um, generator, nuclear power plants run all around the world all the time. Certain countries use a lot of nuclear power. France does, for example. The U.S. Navy has hundreds of, of, of nuclear-powered um, ships um, that have been, you know, running for half a century. Um, you know, relatively safely. So there's, our, it's arguable the safety versus nuclear versus the, the the detrimental effects of fossil fuels on the planet and climate change. I am not an expert. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't tell say what's exactly right here. None of us can. But we, it's just a complicated thing to wade into.
1: Yeah, it's a very hotly debated issue in Finnish sustainability discussions also and Mm -hmm. one of the reasons is that because the finnish bedrock is so ancient and stable they are building a huge nuclear uh, waste deposit cavern Uh, I, i don't know what would be the good ver- English word for this enormous cave mm-hmm. that they are building in, in the Finnish be- bedrock so it comes close to us in 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 men- many ways and uh, I'm not going to go into these debates more but pointing out to, to another concept raised by Lifton which is anxiety of responsibility mm. and as a sort of Uh, something to be looked for even though it's difficult also but instead of paralyzing anxiety moving towards feeling anxiety of responsibility and that's contextual of course people have various degrees of uh, options and responsibility of but many of us uh, can have Im- impact at least on some some level, and that's a feeling i I feel a lot this anxiety of responsibility, not so that it crushes me every day i don't mean that, but more as anxiety as an emotion you know causing you to stop and think that what would be the right thing to do and uh, that's related to this practical anxiety that Charlie Kurtz my friend an emotion researcher talks about that we should. Be arrested by some ethical issues because they are complex and ambivalent and they require at our attention. And it's not an ethically right. Uh, solution to just try to escape from them. And that's something which, again, is linked to the Oppenheimer movie uh, and the position of Robert Oppenheimer himself. He had to wrestle a lot with this anxiety of responsibility, as as also many other characters depicted in the movie.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, I have not heard that term before, anxiety of responsibility, Um it, 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 it I think it's compatible with this kind of adulting um, concept I was using. You know, as an adult, I have to make decisions. I have to think about myself, my family, my community. I don't have all the answers. I'm not omniscient. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I need to I need to take the best action that I can um, versus just, um, you know, uh, absolve myself of taking action or run away or avoid or just throw up my hands and, and say someone else will do it, you know. So it takes, you know, bravery and also um, humility, you know, uh, to do that right, uh, because there's a lot of people that are selling us all kinds of things, you know, looking at some of the political stuff going on in the U.S. And some of the, the campaigners that are out there for president, they they they're, they don't strike me as being brave, brave and humble at all. Uh, they strike me as being sort of just talking really fast and whipping up a lot of frenzy um and that's that's not what we're talking about uh we're talking about breathing you know being being in our bodies using the best of our intellect working together with other people having an open mind using a, a prototype um growth mindset kind of approach where we try things and we work on things um we we, uh, allow ourselves to think things might go right. We, we push back against that pervasive, I forget the term that you've used before, but the opposite of the anxiety of responsibility, that pervasive sort of, uh, you know, uh, debilitating anxiety that just makes us want to just collapse, um, pushing back on that, uh, and reminding ourselves that all the good people out there are all trying to do good work. You know, there's
1: many people that share our beliefs and values. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it goes to this binocular vision or Mm -hmm. skill of seeing two levels that we discussed at a previous episode. I've been using the Finnish equivalent of that, being able to see both the good and the bad and also linking to Lifton once again and a collection of many of his works uh, in forms of short texts is called Losing Reality and subtitle on cults, cultism and the mindset of political and religious zealotry. So that's a danger then to escape in cultist mindsets where it's more binary instead of staying with this ambivalence and uncertainty where both the good and bad are, are possible. Climate swerve is a short book by lifton especially about climate matters and wanting to mention mention that 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 also yeah
0: yeah so that there are these thinkers like robert j lifton who have been
1: writing about these
0: these really super tough issues for many many years and it's it's good to when we have time to kind of sit with this and be be with it a little bit so listeners you can be thinking about this you know these pop culture movies aren't the actual true story but they do open up history uh and we'll put we'll put you know i've, I've made a small study of the this this summer and panu has been interested in too so we'll, we'll put some links to some of the things we've mentioned here some of the some of the documentaries and the various things that bring us back to the nuclear age of the of 60s 70s and 80s uh and 90s that kind of underlie what's going on today especially young young listeners might appreciate some of this stuff and that story is not finished we don't know what the story is here what people are going to say in 100 or 200 years or a thousand years about nuclear nuclear power and what, what role that's going to play um in our in our future but we do know that um the world was fundamentally changed with a, a comic bomb we know that that was part of the anthropocene the the signal that shows that humans were able to you know overcome the planetary boundaries and really um you know you know run the world so that is that is something certain that's one thing that we do know um panu uh um the season's changing what's your evening look like for you
1: yes autumn is coming and we are planning with Thomas to do a short recording of bonus material for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for all of you who have done that, and thanks for all the listeners. So we're going to talk a bit more about Robert J. Lifton soon, and uh, after that, it's going to be spending time with the boys again, and in the research world, autumn is the time when you have to do funding applications for research projects so that's part of mm-hmm. part of life and as much on my desk as is the actual research about ecological grief and other stuff. Okay but Thomas how how does your day look like? Well
0: I'm getting started on my day and it's raining here which is nice uh, in Portland because it it means the some of the fires that are out in the in the in the area and in the state are going to be dampened and it's more likely that I'll be able to go on my Labor day camping trip that we're we're planning um so i'll be working on my manuscript and working with clients and uh um also packing up to do some outdoor stuff for our u.s uh, labor day holiday that's coming up so listeners you all i wish you all the all the best in your days or evenings um find us on um www.climatechangeandhappiness.com. Please share our podcast with your friends and neighbors and everyone be well. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.